There's a, there's a theory out there that all people on planet Earth are separated by only six degrees. Meaning that like, you know someone who knows someone who knows someone else who knows someone else and who knows someone that you could be mapped to anyone out there on the earth. So we're going to play a little game here. I want you to, I'm going to mention a name and I want you to guess how many degrees I am away from that person. Okay? John Lester. Two. Two. I know Mike Ray, who is really good friends with John Lester. Mike Ray is someone that attended our church. Isn't that amazing? He, he sells boots, and he often sells them to professional baseball players, so it's his business, but he, he's made friends with a lot of these guys, went to John Lackey's wedding, cool things like that. Okay. Uh, Magic Johnson. Four, five? No, I don't know Magic Johnson. Thank you, Pete. Two. My brother-in-law works for a company called Heartland. They do uh, credit card processing, and he was actually number one in sales for, this is a nationwide company, uh, a, year, a couple years ago, and so kind of the reward was he got to have lunch with Magic Johnson, and they got to know each other a little bit, and um, so there you go. I don't know if they, they, maybe they exchanged digits, I'm not sure. All right, Michael W. Smith. Come on. Two. I had a friend in, in, in college, uh, his name is Jason Madden, and after college, he graduated, he was a youth ministry guy, he went to work in Michael W. Smith's church, he got a job there, and so he knows Michael W. Smith. <clears throat> All right, um, I'll do one more. Hope Solo. Hope Solo, she's a, the former uh, goalkeeper for the U.S. women's national soccer team. Two! I worked at a camp called Lakeside Christian Camp, and... We ran a family camp program, and one of the families that, that came, with their, their name was the Nairs. And I got to know them. They had two daughters that were twins, Amanda and Alyssa. They were really good athletes, and I kind of lost touch with them after a while. But uh, actually, Alyssa Nair is now the goalie for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team and won a, was at the World Cup with them a couple years ago. So Alyssa Nair obviously knows Hope Solo. She play with her. You want a couple more of these? This is fun. Okay, this one's an obvious one. Chip and Joanna Gaines. Two, two. I don't know them personally. Yes, they're friends of the Antioch movement. Uh, maybe the closest friend that I'm friends with is, is Colby Lehman, who's a pastor actually of our Charlotte church. In, uh, sorry, not Charlotte, uh, Raleigh church. And they were, I think, in their wedding and stuff. They were friends from college. And so they know Chip and Joanna. And they obviously live in Waco and go to Antioch, Waco. Uh, Graham Cook. Two. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Long before Graham Cook was like a, you know, a name in, in different circles in the church, uh, he, he's, he's close with some people that grew up in the area that I grew up with, the Hetties, Joe and, and his wife. And uh, yeah, I just kind of heard about this crazy Graham Cook guy before he was a big name. So there you go. All right, how about this one? Bill Clinton. <laughs> Three. Yeah, my sister-in-law Val's a lawyer, and she actually uh, knew Ken Starr. They were in a Bible study, I think, together, and uh, Ken Starr is obviously the lawyer that represented Bill Clinton in, oh, against him. Oh, sorry. So there's a connection there, although it is adversarial. Sorry, against him. Thank you. All right. um, Peyton Manning. I I have two directions this way. Two different ways. Both three degrees. Both three degrees. 
There was a girl I knew in, at, at uh, Gordon-Conwell Seminary. I can't remember her name, so this is the weaker of the two. But uh, her, cousin married, uh, her cousin married Peyton Manning. And then my father-in-law knows a guy named, they used to babysit a kid named Ryan. And Ryan grew up and became the CEO of Capital One. And, uh, and so Ryan Schneider knows Peyton Manning. All right, uh, Shirley Temple. Three. Uh, Jade's good friend, Pamela, this, this girl that, I, that I've met before. Her grandfather was Shirley Temple's agent. All right, Meghan Markle. I should have wrote this down. This one's a little complicated. Four. It's four degrees. It's uh, my brother-in-law. No, Molly, my sister-in-law. Her supervisor. Work with Megan's mom. There you go. Four degrees. And it's obviously five to the queen. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> and as you see this, um, you know, this theory about the six degrees it talks about it's not really about your inner circle. It's really about those kind of random acquaintances and people that maybe you could call if you were in the area. You know, that kind of connection with people often leads to these six degrees all over the planet. The question I want to ask tonight, today is, who are you connected to and who are you connecting those people to? Who are you connected to and who are you connecting those people to? In other words, who are your people? And who are God's people? So we're continuing our series today, Love God, Share Life, Proclaim Jesus, all one word. Thought it was cute, I don't know if it's cool or not. But second week on sharing life, and today we're going to be talking about just sharing life with our neighbors. And these three statements are our core values at the harbor. We love God, we want to appreciate Him, which we did this morning in worship, when we give thanks to Him, we want to give Him our attention, our time right? Our listening ear to see what he's saying. We also want to share life. The Bible just says the pattern for the church is to share life together and build one another up, but we are also called to share life with people outside of the circle of the church. And here's what we're going to find today. You are their connection to Jesus. You are their connection to Jesus. It's you. When you make a connection with someone, You've just give, given them two degrees of separation to Jesus. They know you, and you know Jesus. You are their connection to Jesus. We're going to see this in three passages of Scripture that are all going to sound very familiar today from the Gospels. So not to, if you want to grab that mic, we've got three different people that are going to read these passages from Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. And sorry, actually, I've got to reverse this. So not to, uh, I want you to read the Mark passage first. Sorry, Dale. So, Sean, where's Sean? Okay, Sean, why don't you stand up not to go find him? Sean's going to read us this passage from Mark chapter 2. And I want you just to listen. If you've got a Bible, I actually ask you to close it and not follow along. I just want you to hear, because you're going to hear this three times, but just from a different author, from Mark and then Matthew and then Luke. So, Sean, go ahead. All right, so Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. 
for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. All right, you got two minutes. Turn to somebody next to you. Take a look at these questions up on the board. I want you to ask yourselves, what stands out to you? You heard it one time. You're going to hear it again in a minute. What does it tell you about people? What stood out to you? What did it tell you about people? Go. Little groups. Talk to somebody near you. Process a little bit. If they weren't listening, summarize the story because I know you were. There you go. You'll get another chance. Don't worry. Okay, one more minute. All right, throw it out there. What stood out? Just first hearing of this. Okay, so we see some groups of similar, similar similarities. They're congregating in similar groups. You get the Pharisees and then sinners, tax collectors. People are judgmental. Okay, rules over relationship. Yeah, so there's a reputation Jesus is, is getting that some people don't like. Right. Yeah. Prejudice. Very prejudiced. You guys that answered and I repeated, you can now hear your stuff on the podcast once this comes out. There you go. Yeah, your answer. Anything else? Jesus was here for sinners. All right, picture this with me, okay? There's Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth at the gate of the city, most likely. There's other tax collectors there. He's not working alone. And they're working in shifts, right? Some of them are like Levi. He's sitting in the booth. He's confronting people as they come through the gate. They're trading things. And there's someone right behind him doing the records, writing people's names down, what they're bringing into the city. There's some other tax collectors kind of in the back room making jokes about how much they've been able to rip these people off. There's also a feeling of shame you can sense just in the, in the way that they jest. Maybe there's some guilt. They know that they've been rejected from their own people because of their choice to serve an oppressive power. And so this is their only real community. It's hot. It's dry. Levi sweats as he's sitting there. He curses as he realizes he left his water skin at home. And then he spots Jesus. 
about three rows back in this line of people waiting to get through the gate and pay these taxes that they're collecting. He starts to feel a little nervous. He's heard Jesus speak before, but he's never encountered him himself. It's only a few paces away. He's quickly dealing with these people, collecting the money, passing it back to the guy, writing the records down behind him. And it's Levi, all those usual lines as Jesus approaches that Levi uses to say, all right, tell me your name, where are you from, what are you doing? He just draws a blank as he looks at Jesus and Jesus stares at him right into his eyes. And Levi feels that gaze penetrate right into his soul. A moment of panic and fear rises up, but for some reason, it vanishes. When he feels the gaze of Jesus and hears the words, Levi, follow me. In that instant, a hundred questions race through Levi's mind. Am I imagining this? Did he just say, follow me? This is Jesus. I mean, there's crowds following him all over the place. I mean, doesn't he want someone with a little more qualified? Doesn't he know who I am? Doesn't he know what, I, what, doesn't he know what, what I've done? Question after question racing through his mind. But something about Jesus' gaze and his voice, he knows this is not a joke. And it says he gets up and follows Jesus. Now this was no small deal. Rabbis back then probably chose the cream of the crop to be their close followers, what they would call their disciples, the ones that they would train to take over their spot or to follow them and one day kind of walk in their shoes. And here Jesus is calling a tax collector, one that his own people would call a traitor and a cheat. And yet Jesus says, follow me. Why did Jesus, I mean, pick Levi? Why? What interest did he have in him? What did he see in him? I mean, man, he's overlooking an awful lot just from the fact we know Levi is a tax collector. What is going on with Jesus here? We transition into this party. And Jesus is hanging out with all Levi's friends. Apparently they're you know, not of very great reputation either. And you can feel what the Pharisees feel, can't you? I mean, they look at Jesus, this rabbi with a serious following, right? 100,000 followers on his Instagram account. Right? Mark mentions all these crowds twice. What is this guy doing with these people? And doesn't he know, like, isn't he from here? Doesn't he speak this language? Doesn't he know who a tax collector is? And all these other sinners? And maybe some prostitutes in the mix? Ex-cons? Doesn't, he, doesn't Jesus know that bad company corrupts good morals? Why is he eating with these people? I mean, sure, maybe hand them a, 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 some alms on the street. But to eat with them? The sign of identification? The sign of relationship? 
Ugh. It's like they're his, his, his friends. He's, it's like he's claiming them. They don't tell it to Jesus directly, it says. They, they tell the disciples. I mean, they don't want to be rude. or, But they're kind of saying, what's going on here? I think we can read Jesus' response. When he hears, maybe from the disciples, what's being said. Probably outside the house. I'm assuming the Pharisees probably wouldn't even cross the, the door frame of that building. Jesus is like, what do you mean? These are my people. These people are my people. Yes, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, but these people of no reputation, these ones who the world is humbled, these are my people. These ones who are hungry, who came on a moment's notice to this party to see me, these are my people. They don't pretend there's something they're not, and they want me. What do you mean, what am I doing with them? These are my people. But Jesus humors them. And instead of just brushing off their ignorant question and pushing the Pharisees aside themselves, he doesn't belittle them. He answers their questions. Sick people are the ones who need a doctor. Nobody goes to the doctor when they're well. I am looking for sick people who are looking for a doctor. I'm looking for people who know they are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came for those that wanted a rescuer. For those that know that they needed me, that they needed saving, that they needed help. And I don't really look at outward appearance. I look at their hearts. And I don't even really look at people's sin. I look at their hearts. Jesus is looking for outsiders who want to be insiders with him. He's looking for sick people who are looking for a doctor. These are his people. These are his people. Dale, would you read Matthew 9, uh, 9 to 13? We're going to hear this from Matthew's perspective. And I want you to notice, here's the two questions I'm going to ask. I'll give them to you on the front end. What's different about Matthew's version? And what does this passage tell you about God? Hello? Okay. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, you got a minute and a half this time. Go.
Okay, what was different? There was one thing that really stood out. I know you were listening, you couldn't look at it, but what was it? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What does it tell you about God? He's merciful. He desires mercy. Concern with the heart, not outward traditions or things. Yeah, okay, you guys are nailing it. God's desire is mercy. He's telling this to the Pharisees who are overly concerned with sacrifices, religious rituals, looking good on the outside. But God desires love. The word in Hosea 6.6 there is actually an amazingly powerful word in the Old Testament. One of the most important words, and it's hesed in the Hebrew. It is a word that represents love, steadfast love, loyal commitment, covenantal relationship. It's the way that God loves us. It's the equivalent of like agape in the Greek in the New Testament. It is God's commitment forever, steadfast love towards his people. It says God desires love, loyalty, compassion, mercy, and grace above sacrifice. Go and learn what this means, Pharisees. This is what I am all about, and that is why I am choosing these people, because I am longing to show mercy and grace to a people that are hungry for it, to a people that are desperate for it. There are people that say, I need a rescue. I need a savior. These are my people. Look at them. They're dying to be with me. These are my people because God is a God of mercy is why Jesus hangs out with sinners. Because God is a God of compassionate, committed love who opens the door to his family, to anyone that wants it. And God's desire and his challenge to the Pharisees is to imitate Jesus. When we catch the heart of God for ourselves, we can't help but give that same heart to others. Everything that Jesus did flew out of the overflow of love that he knew and experienced from dad in heaven. Everything. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Right? Everything he did flowed out of it. And the same is for us. God calls us to view everyone around us and go, oh, these are my people. Every person, right? God's not looking at people's sins. He's not judging them based on what he's done. He is pursuing them with mercy. I am not saying there's not a judgment someday for those that don't turn to Jesus, but what I am saying is God is not concerned with the sin. Jesus dealt with the sin, right? He is loving us. And of course, he wants us to move out of places of sin in our lives because he wants our freedom. But when he looks at us, he sees his kids. He sees his kids. It's not his first thought towards us every day is not just, well, here's the five things you did wrong yesterday. Let's go through the list. And then you can make, up, make amends for that. I had this, this, this word I felt like was from the Lord this morning that I shared earlier today. Jesus is a sin-eating monster. He eats sin for breakfast. He ate it all on the cross. God put the sin on Jesus and he put it into the grave. Jesus dealt with sin. We don't have to worry about sin anymore. God's not judging us on that anymore. We receive his forgiveness. We are wiped clean. Can I get an amen? I know this isn't a Baptist church, but come on. Okay? Why is Jesus hanging out with these people? Why does Jesus go after the sick? 
Why does he spend time with all those losers? Because God is love. Because God is merciful. Because he desires relationship with us. Because everyone that is out there, God is pursuing and wants us to pursue with him. God delights in showing mercy. He loves everyone. He doesn't desire us to try to impress him or perform for him. We are not professional musicians in an orchestra, hoping that the audience will like it and we'll keep our jobs and they'll come for another show the next time. We are not NBA players looking to have a great season to impress our coaches and fans so we get recognition of the All-Star Game and a larger contract next year. We are not working on Broadway, showing off our acting skills. We are the kid on the stage butchering it at the piano recital. And God's sitting there going, yes, awesome, I love this, way to go, woo, right? We are the kid at the rec league basketball game, shooting the ball at the wrong hoop. And God's saying, way to go, at least you made it, good shot, right? We are the kid standing there holding the tree in the school play, just holding that tree. You're holding the tree, way to go, son, way to go, daughter, I love it. That is God. He is love, right? He is pursuing us. He's not looking at our sin. He's not looking at it. Jesus already dealt with it. He sees a son or a daughter or a future son or daughter. That's what he is doing. He is pursuing these people. He's hanging out with the sinners. He's hanging out with the tax collectors. Why? Because God is love. Because he loves people. Because he wants all of them to be his people. These are my people, Jesus is saying. You guys don't get it. You can be my people too, but you don't seem to want this. Because you want to earn your way. You want to look respectable. Oh, we have to get this. Luke 5. Uh, I forgot who I gave this to. Right there. Anna. Natu, get her the mic. Thank you, Natu. You're the man. Let's hear it one more time. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, you got one minute this time. What was different here? There was, I'll give you a hint. There's two things. You got one minute. There was two things that were different. Between this and Mark and Matthew, go. One minute. If you want to take out a Bible, you can do that. Okay, you got like 10 seconds. All right, who's got one? What's different? The feast was for Jesus and? That might, you might be right. I'd have to look that one up to see if it was in the other passages. What more about the feast? What did it say that was not in the other two passages? Who threw the feast? Levi. Now, maybe that was assumed, but it didn't say that before. It says, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. Second thing. It's in the last line. 
a call, he calls sinners, and then Matthew, Luke's the only one that says this, to repentance. Jesus is looking for hungry people that have been humbled by the world. Right? We all need God. We all need a Savior. We don't always recognize that. The simple response for us is just, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And God is calling us, repentance means turning away from something. And it's not just saying, I'm not going to sin anymore. It's saying, I'm not even going to look at sin anymore. I am turning my gaze into Jesus. Instead of always looking at myself and looking at my own problems and the ways that I screw up, the solution is to turn your gaze away from that and look at Jesus. Just like Levi, to look in his eyes and say, I am loved for who I am because of who God is, because he's the God of love. He loves me. He's welcoming me into his family. And all I need to say is, Jesus, I need you. It's my daughter's way of saying amen. She can't talk. Okay? Thank you, Alma. That's what this call is. It's a call to repentance. And Jesus is inviting who to join him in this? Us. We are the ones that are one degree away from Jesus. And God is calling us to say, you are their connection to Jesus. You are Levi. You can bring people to Jesus. Right? You are their connection to Jesus. And really, it's actually not two degrees for them. Because where's God? He's in us. So when you move into that street, when you walk into that workroom, when you go to that class, everyone in that room is one degree away from encountering Jesus. Because you stand in that room. As a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, and Jesus gets to break out. But, when we, but, that only he, but we have to let him. We have to make that decision to walk with God. We have that choice that Jesus is two degrees or one degree away from them. Right? Moment by moment. We're always living this shift between those two degrees. Sometimes we're kind of just not really walking with Jesus. Happens to me too. Other times, right, we want to always be in that place of bringing people into the presence of Jesus so that they can be at degree zero. That the Holy Spirit would come inside of them because they just say simply to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I need a rescuer. I turn away from sin and I look at you. You're my Savior. You're my God. I bow to you. That is our call. You are their connection to Jesus. Our call is to be a Levi so that others can be connected to Jesus even so much as that he would live inside of them. So do what Levi did. Do what Levi did. Bring people to Jesus. Share life with the people in your world that don't know Jesus. Right? Share life with people that the world would write off. Invite people into relationship. Bring them to Jesus who is calling them to turn away from gazing at the mess of this world and their own life and just to look at him because he accepts them just as they are. Just as they are. So here's my challenge to you today. I want to honor somebody in the room. Jeremy Puzz, would you just stand up? This man is a Levi or a Matthew. Sorry, I've got to mention. That's the same person, just in case you know. Usually people have two names back then, a Greek name and a Hebrew name. Sorry. This man has a Levi-Matthew anointing on his life. And he and the life group that the Miriams have led, I didn't see the Miriams here today, I just want to honor you guys, that they are building relationships with people in their lives for the, for the reason that, well, they love people, one, just because they love people, and two, because they want to connect them to Jesus. They know that they are the connection in their neighborhood. Jeremy, you're a man of God. Thank you for leading the way on this. Where's the Schultzes? I also want to mention them as they're leading this life group, kind of a similar life group that was, that's now at their house. 
Maybe they're, in, maybe they're in kids' ministry today. I just want to honor the Schultzes. They, in a similar way, I, just, I was just thinking about their lives, in so many ways are just sharing life with people in their lives. And many of you do this. I'm just trying to pick out a couple people that I want to honor. But more and more, God wants us, is calling us to share life with people around us. So here's my challenge to you. You ready for this? This came out of our family meeting uh, in the spring that led to our outreach team. And this is one of the initiatives for this, this fall. I dare you to throw a party for your neighbors. That's it. Throw a party for the people that you live around on your street or in your little block. Throw a party, a fall harvest party. You can make it a Halloween party. I don't care. Redeem it. Make it, a, make it a winter solstice party and let people come to know Jesus, right? I don't care. You can take that right back from the enemy, okay? The church will give you $50 to offset your costs. And this was not in our budget, and as you see, we are behind. Just pointing that out a little bit. So if you want to help this out, give a little bit to the general fund. I'm just doing this on faith because we felt like this is what the Lord said. So if you want to throw a party, we're going to back you up, 50 bucks, save your receipts. Okay? Here's the only other things you got to do. Two things. You need to pray before anyone gets there. And I would love for you to do this with someone else that's a believer. So it's not just you. Do it with you and one other family or one other single or couple or whatever. Don't do it alone. Okay? So do it with you and somebody else and just pray before it starts. I don't even care if you pray for the meal. It doesn't matter. You're there, so Jesus is there. Just pray before you have the event, okay? And then at the end, hey, just ask if they want to do it again. Maybe someone else will host it and you won't have to do it. You just get to show up, get in their lives, and be Jesus, okay? I dare you. I dare you to do this and see what God does. Bring one other couple into it. If there's somebody else in your street, lives near you, bring them into it, throw a party. We'll give you 50 bucks off of the cost, okay? Pray before it starts. And at the end, see if there's openness to continuing relationship. Maybe it'll look, whatever, okay? That's my first challenge to you. That is a way that you can respond to the word of God, to share life and knowing that you are their connection to Jesus. Secondly, where's Mark and Renee? Stand up. You guys in the room still? Okay, Mark and Renee, I mentioned this last week. This is a life group slash sharing life with people that are not in the church. They're leading a life group at the YMCA on Thursday nights with a bunch of people that are living there because they've been through some hardship in their life, okay? They're meeting on Thursday nights, and they're leading a small group with people that don't know much about the Bible, okay, and are dealing with all kinds of different issues. These guys are pioneering on this front. If you want to join that group, if you say, I'm a Gordon student, that's just people in my dorm, join this group on Thursday nights. Find a way to get there. Talk to Mark and Renee. If you want to be sharing life with people that don't know Jesus, here is a way that you can do this, okay? It's Thursday nights at the YMCA. Details are on the website. You can talk to these guys afterwards. You guys are awesome, by the way, for doing that. And I just sense the Lord is going to lead us into more. I want to see, let's plant a church in a barbershop, Mark, right? Okay, come on. All right. <clears throat> Lastly, oh, maybe this was where I was going to mention Travis. Sorry, I preempted that. Start a discipleship group or a small group in your place of work. Travis Schultz, who I mentioned earlier, is amazing at this. He works at an investment thing. He's a financial advisor, and he's got a Bible study. He's pulling people in that aren't necessarily people that might want to study the Bible study. I said that wrong. You get the idea, okay? We can help you do this. If you've got one or two people that you think have talked about religion a little bit, and you just can ask them, hey, you want to study the Bible sometime? We can just meet a couple times and see, and then go from there. If you like it, great. If you don't, then we'll, we'll, we don't, you don't have to keep doing it. We can equip you to do that. 
okay? But these are your people. These are your people. You are their connection to Jesus, and you are their pastor, essentially, right? You're the one that God has put in their lives. And guys, you can do this. You can do this. It doesn't have to be weird or awkward. You just show up and obey what Jesus is telling you to do in that moment. Let's have the band come back up, and we're just going to respond in worship. And the reason we're responding is not because we're going to have an awesome mission and do a great job, and all these people are going to get saved. That'd be great to celebrate. But we always celebrate first, right? Jesus says, don't rejoice that the demons flee in your name. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We rejoice because a merciful God, a loving God, sent Jesus to rescue us sinners who no longer are sinners, we still sin, but now we are sons and daughters of the God of the universe who we get to call dad and relate to every day. Thank you, Jesus. You are their connection to Jesus. Let's worship him who is awesome in his love for us. Let's stand. Lord, help us. We need help. We want to bless this area. We want to bless our friends, coworkers, family members that don't know you. So God, I just pray in this time of worship, as we exalt you for being so merciful and loving towards us, put ideas in our mind. Put people in our mind. Just drop them in, God, and help us to respond and take the challenge to share life with people that don't know you that are all around us. Thank you, God. Help. We worship you.